0: Reading from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. Then afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion... And in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. We are in a series right now uh, called Spoiler Alerts. Maybe you've been here for one of the previous uh, sermons in this series. Um, you probably may not recognize me up here doing this. Usually we have um, our senior pastor, Todd, delivering the message, but he is gone this week uh, participating in in that most ancient and sacred of traditions, Pennsylvania camp meeting. So he's down there and we wish uh, him a good time. But for those of us here in the city on such a beautiful day, I know that we're not sad about being here either. Now spoiler alerts, um, we've, we've talked about it for a few weeks but we haven't necessarily uh, talked about what that term actually means, why we're using it for this series. Uh, now this is a fairly recent term, it's something that we hear a lot uh, nowadays, but it's it hasn't been around forever. In fact, the first documented use of it was on the Usenet, that thing that predated the internet that most of us didn't know how to use. And it was in a chat room, a message board, um, of Star Trek fans, and uh, one individual um, had seen Star Trek 2. it had just come out, and he wanted to talk about it with his fellow Trekkies, but he was afraid that they hadn't necessarily seen it yet, and so he said, spoiler alert, before he went on to talk about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I still have not seen Star Trek II, so I, don't spoil it for me. I probably won't see it, but you know, just in case. So this is a, a fairly recent term that has now come to be used almost daily. One really common usage um, is with sports. I, I know I, I watch a lot of sports after they've happened. And the problem with that is that there are some people in this world who for some inexplicable reason really want to share with you the score of a game that they know you haven't watched. It gives them some sort of perverse pleasure to do that. And, and um, I have one friend in particular that's, that's like this. I won't tell you who it is, but he, just, he leads worship at a church in Manhattan somewhere, you can draw your own conclusions. Um, but this, is, this has become a, kind of an issue. I know there are some of us here um, who maybe have abstained from watching a, a basketball game on Friday night only to come to church to have our brothers and sisters in Christ spoil that game for us. Now, the problem with the spoiler is that it makes you not want necessarily to experience that thing, that story anymore because the satisfaction or the result or the outcome has been ruined. It's been spoiled. Um, There's a recent uh, TV show out that I I bet a lot of you watch called Mr. Robot. And um, now I have a rule, this is a personal rule, you don't have to have this rule. The rule is if there is a TV show on the channel USA, it's not good. That's, That's like my rule. Um, so, this show, Mr. Robot, came out and it was on USA, and so I was like, oh, another dumb USA show. And uh, But then I started hearing all these people talk about it, and I had all these friends telling me to watch it, you're gonna love it. And I was like, ugh, I guess I'll break the rule this one time. So, I started to watch it, and I was like two episodes in, um, but by the time I was watching it, the world was like a season ahead of me. And so I found out like a big twist that I didn't know was coming. And so just completely gave up on the show and we'll never watch it again. That's the problem with the spoiler. It ruins the story for us. Spoiler alert means that, but it's also become so common that um, it's kind of entered our usage um, in like a snarky kind of like duh way. Like if some, if somebody is like being really selfish or self-centered and they're really bugging you and like, Spoiler alert, it's not about you. Or like, if, if you're complaining that I don't you know, look enough or act enough like Todd, spoiler alert, my beard's not as good as his. Like, it's just the obvious kind of snarky thing that you say, right? We're not gonna be using it in that second way, but in the first way uh, in this series. So, the spoiler alert ruins the outcome of a story and helps us lose interest in a story. Why is this a term that we would want to use um, when we're talking about the Christian story or the Bible? Why is this something that we're wanting to explore? Well, let's go back to Joel. Um, We don't know much about Joel. He was a minor prophet um, because he was minor in the grand scheme of things. Um, His his book is only about three chapters. It's pretty short, all about one thing, basically. And we don't know anything about him. We know he was a guy that had a dad. That's like the only two things that we actually know. Um, and we can make some assumptions about when uh, this, this was written, when this was proclaimed, uh, but for the most part, we're kind of in the dark. All we know is that Joel was a prophet in uh, the kingdom of Judah when Israel was split. So, going back to the text that we're looking at, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, begins, Then, afterwards, we're going to stop there, because we need to know what the afterwards is. Um, It's important to know the context of what we're reading, otherwise it doesn't make much sense, or we can make it say something that it doesn't say. So let's go back before into the first two chapters of Joel. And um, in some Bibles, you'll see like in different sections, they'll have that like heading that kind of describes what you're about to read. Now, in case you didn't know, that's not part of the original text. Those are added in later uh, by translators and, and by commentators. Um, but sometimes they're helpful uh, to give us just like a little overview. And so to give you a picture of the book of Joel, the heading for the, the first chapter of Joel starts out, Lament over the ruin of the country. So it's a nice, happy, cheerful um, passage. I'll give you some of the. I'll give you the little uh, preface that he gives in verse two. Hear this, O elders! Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days, or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children, another generation. We're gonna pause right there. I see Tomas trying to like follow along with me. Bro, it's not gonna work. I'm like going all over the place. So it was a good try. I, th- I thank you for that. Um, so if you have your, if you want to follow along, maybe open your Bible app or, or uh, a physical Bible and that might be easier. So that we can save Tomas's carpal tunnel from going around. So that's the privacy gives. That this is like, there w- has never been a story like this. There will never be something like this again. And then we get some of the highlights From this joyous, cheerful first two chapters of Joel. Verse 6 A nation has invaded my land, powerful and innumerable. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. Okay, good start. Verse 10 The fields are devastated, the ground mourns, for the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil fails. Be dismayed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley, for the crops of the field are ruined. The vine withers, the fig tree droops, pomegranate, plum, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up. Surely joy withers away among the people. Whew. Verse 16. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? How the animals groan, The herds of cattle wander about because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep are dazed. Fire has devoured the pasture of the wilderness and flames have burned all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals cry to you because the watercourses are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Joel is talking about the condition of the nation, the plight that Judah finds itself in. Joel goes on to describe how great and terrible God's wrath will be to these nations and armies opposing Judah, and how Judah must look to God for any hope that they may have. So, now back to the afterwards. After stuff like that, verse 28 of chapter 2, Then afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents, a great word that we don't use, but it's still good. Like omens or signs or signals, I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This is some juicy stuff. It's got all the words that Christians like to look at and try to dig deeper. And if we're honest, there's a particular type of Christian that gets really fired up about these words. And that would be Seventh-day Adventists. See, we've got all the things we like. We've got dreams, visions, prophecies the pouring out of the spirit, portents, blood, fire, columns of smoke, the sun turning to darkness, the moon turning to blood. It's passages like these that get people searching for the hidden meaning that this is referring to. We look for the things happening around us to see if maybe this is talking about something that we can see. These are the things that surround the great and terrible day of the Lord. So maybe that day is just around the corner. Now, we know that Joel's prophecy was given to and, and, and for a specific people at a specific time. The people of Judah had enemies around them and uh, had been in exile and, and all sorts of, of stuff. And so we know that these words apply to them. But as, as Christians, we also think that Scripture, the Bible, is valuable to us today. So what does this mean for us? What is this teaching us? Maybe this is a prophecy about the end of time. That's a very common interpretation of this passage and ones like it. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of different people hearing this prophecy throughout history. So you've got the Judeans listening to Joel when he first gives it. Let's fast forward to um, like the early Christians. Uh, Most of them were Jews that were well-versed in their scriptures, and so they would have known this prophecy. Um, And these uh, particular new Christians were experiencing a lot of stuff that they found parallel to this passage. They were being martyred, they were sacrificing, um, and they were seeing signs about this terrible day of the Lord that was going to come, a day that they thought would be in their lifetimes, back 2,000 years ago. So then, let's fast forward a little bit further. Christianity has begun to spread. In some places, it's the state religion. It's a symbol of power. In some places, it's the complete opposite, persecuted and, and, um, and hidden. And so there are people saying, in both of those situations and everywhere in between, this is talking to us. Surely, the Black Plague is a sign of, that we are about to experience the great and terrible day of the Lord. Surely these wars and these crusades are are portents or signs that this is happening now. Fast forward a little bit more. We get to the 1800s, we're in Northeast America and there's a group of people um, who are committed Christians and they're really into dissecting and learning about the scripture. These people are having dreams, they're having visions, they're getting prophecies, and they say, oh, this has got to be about us. In fact, they're so convinced that they know what this is talking about that they say, you know, we actually can figure out what day this is going to happen on, what specific day the great and terrible day of the Lord is. Now, those people ended up being the people that started the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they started it after they realized they were wrong about that day. Fast forward to now. Christians of all stripes look at a passage like this and say, surely this is talking about us. Now, I know my parents said the same thing, and I know their parents said the same thing, and I know their parents said the same thing, but no, this time, this is talking to us. Because, I mean, when has politics ever been like this? I mean, that word, covify, that's, that's probably a portent, right? Or the environment has never been in this uh, dire of a situation, seeing this much decay and pollution. I mean, maybe that's got to be a sign that, we're going to experience the great and terrible day of the Lord very soon. Maybe it's the overpopulation, food scarcity, droughts, wars, terrorism. These have all got to be signs that we're living in this last day. And this isn't just Christians that do it. There are different people of different philosophical and religious ilk all around the world that have done this throughout history. For some of them, it is using Christian language and Christian history, but for others, it's an alien spaceship that's going to come rescue them on a specific day. For others, it's it's when they all drink that Kool-Aid together. That's that great and terrible day. We have talked about this day, and we continue to talk about it, thinking it's talking to us. Now, in our Spoiler Alerts series, uh, when we were first deciding to do this, we tried to think of what what are the best spoiler alerts in uh, film history. And um, Todd stole the best one, in my opinion, which is Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's a little movie about something that happens in the stars. There's like wars, and there's these two people fighting at the end of it, and then you find out that maybe they're related, so I won't give it away. But after that one, I think, I don't know if this is the second best one, but it's pretty high up there, because I remember when I first saw this movie as a kid, and I got to the ending, and I saw that twist, and I was like, what? And then the movie just ends, and it's Planet of the Apes. So if you don't know the story of Planet of the Apes, once again, no excuse. It's almost as bad as not knowing what happens in Empire Strikes Back. Basically, well, first of all, you've had like 40 years to see it. Um, There's already been a remake. There were sequels to the originals, and now there are sequels to the remakes. So just no excuse. Um, But so there's these astronauts, uh, the leader of which is is Moses himself, Charlton Heston, and they they land on this planet, and uh, they find out that there's this like race of of apes on this planet that have subjugated humans and are super advanced and all this stuff and there's lots of different drama that happens in the movie, but at the end of it, um, they're on the beach, and you're, you're, watching, you're watching them walk on the beach, and you, the camera, something is in front of the camera, and you notice this crown that you recognize, and you say, wait, that looks like the Statue of Liberty, because it is the Statue of Liberty, because it was Earth all along! What?! And like Charlton Heston goes into like the most melodramatic, if you haven't watched it in a while, watch it, because it's hilarious how like ridiculous, he's like beating the sand. He no, it was earth all along. It was earth all along. We talked about these prophecies. We've looked at this passage and ones like it. And we said, no, this is talking about us. This is talking about this time, but spoiler alert, It was earth all along. This is how earth has been and will continue to be. Ever since they left the garden, that real or that literal or that um, figurative place, this is how earth has been all along. So what? What? We've been looking for this imminent great and terrible day of the Lord throughout history. Well, what does this mean now? Maybe it means that it doesn't matter when the actual day of the Lord is. Maybe it's not about it being a specific 24-hour date. Maybe we've been in the day of the Lord for a while now because I don't think Joel was wrong with what he wrote, with what he said. I don't think the early church was wrong. I don't think those Christians throughout history were wrong. I don't think the early Adventists were wrong. And I don't think we're wrong. We live in the day of the Lord, that great and that terrible day. But it's in the midst of this terrible day that everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. We don't have to wait for that day to arrive to call to him. We don't have to wait until the end of that day, until it's over to call to him. In that day, in these days, in those days, in all the days, that's when everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. That's the gospel. That no matter what day it is, no matter how much we're convinced that this is as bad as it gets, that is the moment when the saving happens. It's not about when the day is. It's always been the day. It's that There is an eternal entity who exists outside of planetary revolutions, who has been for all days and will be throughout each day. It's about that one who saves everyone who calls upon him. Now, when we hear this, we're tempted now to dissect, well, what does calling upon the Lord actually mean? What does that actually look like? And this question actually helps us develop specific theologies that are important to a lot of us. This idea of the remnant, that there will be this group of people who they're the ones who call upon the Lord in the actual right way, as an example for everyone else. Or this idea of seeing marks and determining what side of the battle you're on. And if you have one mark, then you're actually able to call upon the Lord. And if you have another, you're not. Or dissecting which and determining which behaviors prohibit you or give you the opportunity to call upon the Lord. In fact, we're so good at trying to answer this question that when we realize, oh, wait, it's not about this question. It's about what God has done for us. We still find a way to turn it around and make it about us we say words like sanctification and that if you're not being continuously sanctified well then that's proof that you haven't actually called upon the lord a spoiler alert doesn't matter if you can discern the call just call don't worry about the quality of someone else's call just call Because everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about how good of a call, how worthy of calling you are, whether you're in a place or not in your life where you can discern if you even have the ability to call. It's not about us, it's not about who's calling on the name of the Lord, it's about the one doing the saving the one hearing those who call upon him. So, why do we want to spoil the end of this story? Because it's the greatest ending there is. How could we not want to spoil it for someone else? It's the best ending. Because the story is about people throughout history who try to make it work but they keep failing ultimately. It's about individuals who thought they needed to try harder. It's about religious followers who needed to be more pious. It's a story of students who needed to study more, of parents who needed to be better examples, of employees who needed to work longer, of advocates who needed to protest louder, of polluters who needed to go greener, of politicians who needed to be more powerful, of leaders who needed more followers, of artists who needed more creativity, a story of Christians who needed to work harder on their salvation. This is the story of the day we're living in. These are the people trying to survive that great and terrible day, but spoiler alert, it's not about how any of those people can save themselves. It's about how Jesus saves everyone, amen.